journey. I'm going to do something. Uh, I say this pretty regular. I'm going to take you on a, a, a history-packed lesson a little bit, and I'm going, to tra- I'm, going to, I'm going to show you how this comes into play for where we are today, where we're living today. I want to, t- I want to title the, uh, the subject of this, All Things New. I really believe the Lord put this in my heart a few weeks ago. I have been in a study in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a very historical, it's a very prophetic, it is a very poetic uh, Bible, book of the Bible. There's some things that I saw in it during my study, actually I'm still continuing through that, that I have not seen before. So some people say, well, I want to go deeper with this word today, so we're going to take you to a little bit different level, and uh, it's going to make you dig a little bit, so Isaiah would be a good place for you to turn as we get ready to go there. Let me say on the prerequisite to this message, I'm going to read to you, and then I'm going to give you some history, and then we're going to get right into how this plays in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the very beginning. When God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says that God looked at it all, and He said that it was good. He said the earth was good. He looked at man when He created man. He breathed into him the breath of life. And he looked at the woman that was created from a rib from his side and said, it is very good. We know the story that in the Bible that how they went to the garden. There was one tree in the garden. They were told not to eat of that fruit. I honestly believe with all of my heart that through my years of studying and through what I can understand from the scriptures, that the tree that God said you not you don't need to eat from that fruit was the tithe, it was their tithe to be able to live into that garden, was to live in that garden. That's why he, he told them that. In other words, this is the one thing. I'm telling you, you can have anything in here, but you can't have this one. Leave this one alone. That was their tithe, that was their rent, that was their payment for living in the garden. The garden was created in a perfected state. God breathed upon it. It, it, it was a beautiful place. And then we know that, that uh, the serpent, came along, tricked Eve, Eve ate of the fruit, Adam ate of the fruit. There's been a lot of pushing of blame back and forth through the years. Who's at fault here? Can I tell you, it doesn't really matter about that as much as it does. It gives us the story. It lets us understand the redemption story of Jesus coming to the earth and how important that is to you and me. The Bible says that when they ate of the fruit, just stay with me a minute, this is a little bit here, their eyes were opened, they knew immediately that they were that they were naked, they had no clothes on. The story goes on to say that God began to look for them. I want you to just know that I know God knew where they were, and you know that God knew where they were. But God asked them the question, where are you? I've looked for you. Hey, Adam and Eve, where are you? And what that represents to us is there became a broken relationship between man and God. Are you, are you following along with me? Because the sin began to be entered in to what God created that was never intended to be sinful. Are you, are you hearing me this morning? That's where that relationship was severed. And from that moment, from that moment, every human that has ever been born on this planet, with the exception of one, has been infused with the bloodline of that sin and had to deal with that in their life. Somebody said, I know, the Bible says that working is a curse. No, the Bible doesn't say that working is a curse. It says that you'll work by the sweat of your brow. But he said, when you labor, you're going to have to deal with the thorns and the thistles. In other words, it's not going to be as easy as going and just picking this fruit off. Sin has come in. Can I tell you that sin complicates the equation? 
from Genesis 1 all the way to the book of Malachi, God is working a plan. Somebody said, it must have really messed God up when they sinned in the garden. Can I tell you that God, in all of His grace and all of His mercy, was not knocked off His throne. He wasn't worried about what was going to happen next. He already had a plan in Genesis 3 and 15 when He said that the seed of a woman would bruise the head of the serpent. He knew that one day His Son Jesus, who was with Him in the beginning, who created with Him in the beginning, let us make man in our image in our likeness come on somebody he knew that he would send his son and that his son would pay the ultimate sacrifice but all of this time all of this all of these years they've been talking about this messiah that would come they've been talking about this person who would come someone they're looking for someone who would bring them out of the oppressiveness Israel was and their state of sinfulness which brings me to the book the book of Isaiah the book of Isaiah and a message that has been preached many times about all things being new. And it wasn't until recently that I really, really grasped what I believe that this all things new is saying. And I want to share that with you today in just a few moments. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 1. You want to stay with me there? I will lead you in this book. I'm going to take you through a few of these chapters. If you've got a pen and a pencil, you want to write that down. This Wednesday on a... On another note, you don't want to miss, we'll be over in the dining hall. I'm going to be teaching on a, on a series called There, uh, there Is More. And uh, there is more. And it is in follow-up to our overflow series and where we are now. It's going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit. It's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's talking about how that it is for us today. I'm going to be going through that. So if you've wanted to know, you're interested in that, or you want to go a little deeper with that, I'll be doing that on Wednesday night starting this, this Wednesday. Are you good with that? Amen. All right. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he formed you. He's talking to Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Notice that he has redeemed them. I have called you by your name. You are mine. There's so much here that I wish I could really share with you that I don't. I know we won't have a lot of time to get all of it in, but I will try my best to break this down for you as, as best as I possibly can. I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name which is no longer Jacob. But anybody remember who his name, what his name was changed to? His name was changed to Israel. You are mine. That's who he's talking about. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. Isaiah, through a prophetic word, is reminding Israel of a time in the past where they spent 430 years in Egyptian bondage. You remember that? He said, I will be with you. And you will not, and the rivers shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned, nor will the flames scorch you. Verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom. Notice this, Ethiopia, Seba, and Seba in your place. I gave Egypt in ransom, Ethiopia, and Seba in your place. When you look up the when you look up the story or you look up Isaiah and you begin to look about what the what this word means, 
or what the name Isaiah means. It means the Lord saves. It actually translates, would be a better translation, is the word used that we know and understand, the word salvation. And it's used in this Old Testament book more than any other book in the Old Testament. It is a common theme that runs through it. Isaiah was giving to us and giving to Israel a prophetic perspective of salvation. He was talking about the hope that they would have. The salvation that not only Israel would have, but all humanity. If you go back and you do the study, and you look at Abraham, and you see Abraham's life, you're going to understand that God did not just deliver Abraham out. Pastor John talked about a little bit of this. Let me just kind of brush up a little bit on it for you. Abraham was not just told to leave his country, leave his father's house, leave his homeland, go. He was a wealthy man. Go into the desert. Don't go to a place that you know, Abraham. I'm taking you to a place you've never seen. You don't know, but you've got to trust me by faith that you're going to get there. But then when God gives him a seed, let's, let's just jump to uh, who he's, his son Isaac, that he is going to give to him. He gives him a, somebody say promise, seed. That promise seed was this. When Abraham would look up into the skies and he would see the stars and God would say, Abraham, you can't count them and so will your seed be like. Are you with me? You won't be able to count the sands of the seashore, but your seed is going to be like that. The thing that he was talking about was the fact that Israel would grow and they would become a seed or they, his seed would multiply many times. But notice this, the Bible will show us and will teach us very plainly that Israel will reject this one that is the Messiah that they're looking for. It's all being a setup for what God wants to do, hear this, and that is to bring everything back to full circle, to like it was in the Garden of Eden. You wonder where this world's going and why it's spinning the way that it's spinning and why many of you say and your grandparents say it's worse than it's ever been. We've never seen times like this. We have never seen storms like we saw. We've never seen this many hurricanes in the Gulf at one time. Wow, isn't that crazy that all of this stuff is happening? Can I tell you that it's written in the pages of the book. If scientists really wanted to know how God operated, all they got to do is go to the book. Because this book talks about that in the last days that perilous times will come, that men will become lovers of themselves. It talks about the fact that the earth cycle would be sped up. Are you hearing me? That, the, that these things would come to pass before the last hour of the last day. As a lot of people get confused about second coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church. And I'm not going to try to go into that. You say, Pastor, what in the world does all of this have to do with the price of turnip greens and cornbread in Vicksburg today? Can I tell you that it all ties back to the very fact that God from the very beginning and His Son had an ultimate plan. That you would never have to end up in a devil's hell. And that if you went there, you would be an intruder. You don't belong there 
that his son paid a ransom's price. He paid a redeemer's price, meaning that you couldn't pay it, I couldn't pay it, but he could. Hallelujah. That there was only one born of a virgin girl, birthed up by the Holy Spirit, that would come, perfect, spotless lamb. His name is Jesus Christ. He is and was the awaited Messiah, and he's the only one that could buy your sins and my sins back and bring us back into right order with the Father. Let me, let me go on, let me go on, let me go on. If you look at the book of Isaiah, you're going to find there are 66 chapters in this book. I've known that. I've seen that before, but never put together the fact that a lot of scholars look at it as a miniature of the Bible. There's a lot from chapters 1 through 39 which speak about the fall of Israel, the judgment of Israel, the captivity of Israel, which was to Babylon. If you look and you do any reading and any studying, and we don't have a long time to get there this morning, Babylon is always represented as a type of the world. Are you, are you with me? It's, it's the parallel to the world. When the Old Testament was written in Isaiah's time, there was a lot of prophetic word that was spoken. In other words, he would see things or transported to see things that nobody else had seen. That's how he would be able to speak about the Messiah in Isaiah 53 and 5 where he bore our iniquities and our stripes. He, he would take that upon him. and his, he, he knew that because the only way that he knew it was because the Holy Spirit had already showed him. As if you would do the study, you will find that after chapter 40, I believe it is, through chapter 40 on, that Isaiah has already passed. So everything that had been written was already written. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? That God had already showed to Isaiah what was going to come to pass. Just like he did John of future events that John had never seen in the book of Revelation. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? I'm saying to you this, that God had a plan in the very beginning, all throughout the Old Testament, it was being fulfilled and unfolded and regardless of what Israel would do he would love them they were his but there was a bigger plan they played a small part of a bigger plan which connects you and I that's where the turnip greens and the cornbread hit the table aren't you glad that's where southern folks understand that a little bit better the second half of the book of Isaiah chapters 40 through 66 contained the most beautiful picture of God's redemption, His hope, the words of salvation, how that He longed to bring Israel back, how they were His and He would he, he had never turned his back on them. They would reject him, Pastor Ted. They would worship other gods. They would get in e Egypt and they would do things that were unheard of for man to do. Yet they were living under slavery and oppression. And God would tell them in the book of Isaiah when they went into 70 years of Babylonian captivity that he didn't just put them there to leave them there, but he put them there to set them up for something greater. He would allow Persia to overflow a Syria, oh come on, there's a lot here we don't have time to get into, but he did it for a purpose, what? There was a greater plan down the road, hang with me, hang with me for just a moment, I'm giving you a lot, I understand hopefully we're unpacking it well enough the big picture that he want, what he was wanting Isaiah to share with Israel and for us to understand, is that they would one day be restored through a messianic king some translations call this messianic king, the servant, if 
you'll read in Isaiah, you're going to find that, you'll also find that he will call Israel was initially considered or called the servant. But because they would reject Jesus, Jesus would become the servant of the Messianic king that would come. Not that Israel would have ever become the king, but they were the hope to the world. Follow me just a minute. In other words, he would plant in Abraham's seed, which was the Israel, the hope of this king, but because they would reject him, they were to be his servants. They were to carry this word. They were to bring it both to the Jew and to the Gentile. But because they would reject him as king, God would do whatever he had to do to make sure that his plan from the very beginning, Genesis 1, would not fail. That he would bring everything back to order. Can I tell you that God wants order. He wants to restore order to your house. He wants to restore order to this house. He wants to restore order to the earth and he will do it. I believe that his hand is not shortened. I, I believe that his power is not weakened. That he can't reach right where we are and do what needs to be done. We will sometimes have a tendency in America to look to the next presidential election. We'll have a tendency to look to what's going on in our economy and we'll have feelings of how high hopes and then we'll have them dashed. Can I tell you something? If you really want to know where we are in God's time clock, look at a little place that will fit three times in the state of Texas. It's called Israel. Keep your eyes on it. Keep your eyes focused on it because they are still His people. They are still His chosen people. Even through their rejection, God would not turn His back on Israel. I got to get this finished and there's a lot to give you this morning. These 66 books in the book of Isaiah written as this miniature Bible giving God's warning, talking about judgment, talking about Israel's suffering. The main thing that you need to see is about the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah's prophecies were a reminder that Israel was just a small part of something greater that he wanted to do. Let me take you to Isaiah 43 and 4. And remember that what God is about to do was not just for them, but it was a setup for future generations. How do you know that? Look at verse 4. Since you are precious in my sight. This is what God is saying through Isaiah to the Israelites. You have been honored, and I have loved you. This is what God is speaking about them. Look at this. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. You know what this is telling us? This is a picture, this is a description of the motivation of God's redemptive work for all of humanity. Not just Israel. I'm going to show you how that plays in. To prove what I'm telling you, to prove my case to you and his love for his people, Isaiah mentions three nations in that book where we read in Isaiah 43 where we stopped in verse 3 earlier. And he was saying that he would... That what he would do, it, it represented, or those three nations of that day, represented the wealth of the Middle East. That's what it represents. That Egyptian, Sebia, Ethiopia, they were the wealth of that day. Notice this, that what he's saying is this. We're so precious in his sight. They were so precious in his sight that God would do whatever he had to do to, to bring Israel back, even if it was to bankrupt Come on, somebody. The three wealthiest 
cities that were known. Pastor, what in the world does that have to do again with many things that we're talking about? Isn't it unique that there were not just one cross, but there were three crosses? Two of them didn't mean a lot, but they played into the story. To us, they didn't play into the story. But the third one, come on somebody, represented the wealth of all of heaven. Can I just tell you today that through this beautiful pictorial poetry that God is sharing, He's saying, look, I know that you're, you, you, that Israel, you don't see it now. Isaiah's saying, I know you don't see it now, but what I've seen that is to come to pass is that one day the awaited Messiah that you've been waiting on is going to come. How many know that in the book of Malachi, when the book is closed up, do you know how much time there is between then and when the next words are spoken in the new covenant? About 400 years there is total silence God is not saying anything through any prophet could you imagine some of you would go crazy if God didn't share something with you in 40 days some of us would go crazy we didn't hear something from God in 4 days but 400 years there's this silence that's in the earth nothing is heard not a word from a prophet the, word, the time is dry they're just wanting to know God still loves them that God still cares about them and then something breaks in the silence and in John 1 and 1 we read in the beginning was the word and the word was with God Woo, I'm telling you, I'm telling you that was the best news that any of them could have heard. That God wasn't finished. That God was not done. That there was a word for them and there was a word for us. Oh, man. You know, to prove that love, Isaiah says he, he, he takes out those three wealthy nations. But I love what John 3.16 says. That God loved this world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Why? That you and I could be saved. Why did he do that? He didn't want to condemn the world. It wasn't, it wasn't what God wanted to do. There's too many people have a messed up view of who God is. God never sat up on the throne. Looks down a long nose at you and says, I just wish you'd get your act together. I just wish you would do something right in your life. I just wish you would get over yourself. God's looking down in his love. And he says in John 3, 17, that he didn't send Jesus to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's a loving God. That's not a God that's mad. That's not a God trying to get me out of existence. That's a God that says, I'll bankrupt all the world. I'll bankrupt heaven for you because I love you that much. And that's why Jesus came. My goodness, my goodness. I, I got so much to share with you this morning. Isaiah 43. Let me, let me move to verses 18 and 19. I got to get through this introduction. Look at what he says. He says, don't remember the former things. Isaiah is speaking a prophetic word. He said, don't even look at the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Six times this week. This verse has shown up somewhere other than in my study. Six times this week, I, I, I kept praying because I had been studying this out, and I said, Lord, I need your help because I know that in the few moments I have, it's a lot to give everybody. But I really need to know this is the direction that you want me to go. So I was already set, already ready to go, and then we, I came home yesterday, and I had the radio on very low, and guess what verse came up again six times. The seventh time being this morning, which to me, if you don't know anything about God's numeric system, seven means completion. I believe that God was saying, son, I'm trying to tell you something to tell them, tell them what I'm about to say. 
There's a lot to be said about the former things. There's a lot to be said about the new things that will be done. Translations read a lot of different ways. But scholars agree that the former things were the past, Israel's past, even when they spent time in Egypt. And now they would be spending time in Babylon. But now it's speaking of, because chapter 39 is the break of their suffering, chapters 40 through is reminding them of their hope, their redemption, their salvation. They don't have to live under Aren't you glad that Jesus came, that in the beginning, because he was with God, that he was able to break the curse over mankind? I'm going to share that with you. Hold on. From Isaiah, look at this. It says, he says, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. It's going to come forth. You will know it. It will make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And he's referring back to uh, something I'll share with you in just a moment. In these verses, or in this chapter from Isaiah now, 43 to 53, God begins to speak about this new day, a new thing. It's going to spring forth. It will birth forth. What was he talking about? I mean, I've heard a lot of things. I, I read... When I would see these verses, I would see the translation of what people thought in their mind, you know, what they're thinking in their mind. But the truth of it was, what he was talking about is that it would bring forth forgiveness, that it would bring forth blessing, that it would bring forth restoration, and God's presence would be with them. Why did he want to do that? Because he wanted to bless not only Israel, but all the nations of the earth. When Israel looked hopeless to become that servant or the light to the world, because that's what they were supposed to be, the light to the nations. A word comes and it says, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to give you something new. There is a new day dawning and it's about to spring forth. That's why we hear in John 1 and 1. Come on somebody. In the beginning the word was with God. Listen, because Jesus now would be rejected. Not only rejected by his people, but listen to this. It was not. The Romans that took Jesus' life, it was the Jews who had him crucified. Come on, read your Bible. Read your Bible. They were carrying out what the Jewish people wanted, but it was the Jews that said, let his blood be upon our children and our children's children. And we wonder why the Holocaust uh, that we read about, we wonder about, there's a, there's a lot that is believed that was because they called out for the blood of Jesus to be upon their hands and upon their children's hands and so forth and so on. They're rejected by the Jews, killed by the Jews, and they're dying on the behalf, and he's dying on the behalf of his own people. What are you saying, pastor, of those three crosses? Jesus looks down, he looks at the Romans, he looks at the Jews, and he says, hey, Father, don't hold to their charge the crime they are committing. Don't hold to their charge what they're doing right now. I want to pay their price. I just love it this way because I think it's very true to it. We say that the devil stole Jesus' life. The devil took his life. The devil was happy when Jesus died. Can I tell you something? Hear me. Listen to what this little preacher is telling you. The devil knew the word. He knew what the word was said. He knew what the word of the prophets was. He knew what Isaiah 53 and 5 said. You know what scared him more than anything else? When Jesus rattled the doors of hell. When he was, the Bible says, on the third day resurrected. That he would not stay in a borrowed tomb. But he would bust the bottom out of it. He would come forth victorious under the power of the Holy Spirit. He would live again. Are you hearing me today? How come? Why? Because it was your ransom. It was your redemption. It was your redeemer payment for your sins and mine. He did it for you. He did it for me. 
The Bible teaches us that death couldn't keep Jesus. Couldn't keep him to the ground. I love that old song that says, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Come on, I wish I could sing this morning. You'd have to listen to me. Sing a few bars of it. But my wife says, Preach, don't sing. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Come on, somebody. That's why I can live. The Bible says that many will reject him. They will reject him. But his seed, listen to this, which is talking about future generations, will accept him. This is where we're going to bring the cornbread and the turnips to the table. The Bible says this theme of Isaiah is all about salvation. It is about getting what you and I don't deserve. It is about God's mercy on our lives as Gentiles. The rejection of the Jewish people for Jesus. Jesus grafted us into the vine or he made a way or he adopted us. Do you understand that word? He adopted us. The Father adopted us. That's why we can say Abba Father. Come on somebody. We can call him Father. We have been adopted into the kingdom of God. I like this. He says that future generations, future seed will accept him. And the Bible says because of what Jesus did that you and I will be made right with God. So, the Bible teaches us first of all that former things have to pass away. We find that in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that he talks about that not only that the old needs to pass away in Isaiah 43, but he also talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5.17 where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, that's me, that's you, that is a Jew, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation and old things, Paul said, are passed away and all things have become new. You know what? I think a lot of times we need to be reminded about where we've been so we can appreciate where we are. I, I believe that it's important for us to understand, and that's why God would allow Israel to be reminded of their Red Sea experience. They would be reminded of where they had been in bondage for all of those years. That's why he told them, he was sharing with them, you know, he would, to look at that. But then he said to them, don't Pay, don't dwell on your past failures. Don't dwell on your life in the past. This is a reminder that God sometimes allows us to see our past, but He doesn't keep pointing at our past. He's willing for us to move on. He's willing for us to move out of that into a brighter future. Israel has been mistreated. They have been abused. They have been whipped. They have been made to make bricks without straw. They have been used as slaves. And they started to believe, hear this, hear this, hear this. They started to believe that what they were going through was deserved. Not only they, they, were they ashamed of what was happening, but they began to think of themselves as less than what God had said about them. They are now ashamed of who they are. Where the turnips hit the table is here. I believe that the enemy's job is to continually point and remind you of your past to convince you that somehow God is finished with you. You are washed up and wiped out. You have done everything you can do and you 
somehow or another have failed God. So he keeps reminding you of your past. It's what I call the shame game. He keeps reminding us of what we've done and where we've been. It's the same thing over and over again. It's the same game that he played in the Garden of Eden. And I'm telling you, he will play with you and he will tell you that you did something to convince you that what you did is who you are. But I came by to declare to you today that Romans says in chapter 8 verse 1 that there is now no condemnations to those who belong in Christ. You know what? I'm walking this thing out guilt free. I'm walking it out not in condemnation, not in shame because I couldn't pay my own debt but Jesus could. And because Jesus paid my debt, I don't have to live in shame. I don't have to live in guilt. I don't have to live in fear of tomorrow. I've got a hope all for eternity. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can I tell you something? God never intended for you and I or Israel to carry the load of shame. I think a lot of people do it because that's what we believe that we have become. And I know this because when Jesus went to the cross, He said, bring me your shame, bring me your sin, bring me your guilt, and lay it at the foot of the cross. Come on. And when He said in the Bible, you remember these words? Jesus said, it is finished. Do you remember that? You know what I really believe He was saying? It's not just finished. It's just really gotten started. He didn't say it was just finished. He said, you're not finished. Come on. Because I finished the work on the cross you are not finished it's not over until I say it's over and a lot of people believe in their mind that it's over because well this person's in the running in the presidential election this is happening that's happening can I tell you something until God says it's over it won't be over until every word of his prophecies come to pass it won't be over but I've got a faith this morning in the God that I serve that he cannot lie he will not let me down he will take care of his children because he loves them we have a hope in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I wish I could preach this this morning. Too many of us are carrying around what we don't, what we're not supposed to carry around. Playing the shame game. We keep getting the same thing. The devil keeps telling us over and over again. You come to church, you get asked this question. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm blessed. I'm too blessed to be depressed. Knowing that you've been walking in it all week long, knowing that you've been going through oppression, knowing that you've been going through depression, knowing that you weren't doing what you should be doing, not that God was trying to put you down or cast you down because the truth of it is there's not one of us here deserved what Jesus did Israel did not deserve what God would do for them but I'm telling you he was not trying to judge them he wanted to restore them he wanted to bring them back to a former glory he wanted to bring them back to what he thought in the very beginning can I tell you something God is not wanting to shame you from his throne no matter where you've been and what you've done what your past is or what it says Jesus paid the debt and his blood covers a multitude of sin. We've just got to learn to accept that His blood forgives me of those sins. Amen. Mm. My goodness. But we come to church with faking attitude. We fake through what's going on. Come on, somebody. I've used this and I said it and it's worth writing it down, but God can't fix what you're willing to fake. I said, God can't fix what you're not, uh, what you're willing to fake. The next thing that I believe is so important, and I'm, I'm getting close on this, is 
that I wanted to share with you that I know is important. The next thing that he says is that his spirit would be poured out. We're going to look at verse 3 on future generations. It was the hope of Israel and the covenant family of all nations. He said, I will pour out on him who serves me. I often wondered why it is that some people come to church and they seem like they're getting more. You ever wondered that? You, you feel like some reason or another you come to church and you're not really getting everything that everybody else is in. Why is it that somebody else can raise their hands? Why is it that someone else seems like they've got joy? Why is it that it seems like uh, that they are doing better in their spiritual walk with you. And here's what we do. Here's what Christians are bad about doing. And I, I, I'm not talking about you. You go tell somebody you know that's a Christian that goes somewhere else to church. But we'll, they'll go to, you know, and they will say, I don't understand. They've just been saved six months, and the Lord's done bless them. He's done give them a car, come on, to go back to work with. He's done give them a job, amen, again. He's done bless them so much. And I don't understand. I've been serving God for 25 years, and I ain't never had no blessing like that. They must be doing something wrong. They must be doing something that's not right. They must be doing something illegal. When will the church ever get to the place that you and I recognize that until we're able to rejoice with people that God is blessed, we're never going to know His blessing. We're not going to know His blessing. But we're so willing to be critical about what something, something else that is going on in someone else's life because we believe that somehow or another they don't deserve what they're getting. None of us do. <laughs> None of us do. Amen. But I'll tell you why I believe that some come to church and they receive more. Because there's one word that separates them from a lot of others, and that's the word they are thirsty. Come on, they're hungry. They want something. God, I want something from you today. I didn't just come here, God, to look good. I didn't just come here, God, to give them my $2 and go to the house and tip you and hope that everything turns out. But I came here today and I say, Lord, I'm offering myself completely to you, wholly to you. Lord, today I break open the alabaster box of oil. I pour it out because I am thirsty. Listen to this. He said, I'm going to pour it out on those that are thirsty, the floods on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants. One translation says your seed. Another translation says your children. Why? Why doesn't it speak about those that, why is it not talking about the generation that, he, why was it not them and why was it a future generation? He said, in my blessings on your offspring. He was speaking to Israel's younger generation. He was talking to them about a real revival. Reviving what was dead, bringing it back again. Which meant they could begin to claim again. Look at this. I'm going to go back to what I shared with you earlier. I am the Lord's and my name, in one translation says Jacob. Yes, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God wanted more than anything else to pour out His Spirit and His descendants on the children. He wanted to do that. Why? Because He's pouring out His Spirit in abundance to those who have a thirst. I don't go get a water if I'm not thirsty now. I don't go get a glass of water if I'm not thirsty. I go when I'm thirsty. When I'm thirsty. I think we need to come to church thirsty. 
We need to come to church saying, Lord, I need more of you today. God, I want more. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If we don't, if this generation does not come, there is a generation that will come. I believe that's why Acts 2.17 tells us this, that it shall come to pass. Peter talking about this, that it will come to pass in the last days. Okay, pastor, what's last days? We've been in the last days since Paul wrote. He talked about it. So why is it that we're talking about last days now if we're still in that? Because I believe that we're in the last hours of the last days. The Bible says that you can look to the signs of the time and know that's where we are. A lot of things I shared with you in the earlier part of the service. He said, I will pour out. Notice he says, I'm going to pour out on my spirit and on all flesh. Pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters, they will prophesy. Your young men, they will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I'm going to tell you something that God has never, ever wanted to stop pouring out. From the time of Isaiah's time, when, the, when he was saying that he would send them the water, that they were thirsty, that he would let the rivers run through them, what is he saying to them? He's wanting their, the spirit to be poured out upon them. I don't... I wish we had more time because I'm going to tell you that it goes a little deeper than that. that. That this prophecy that's out of Joel, where we just read Acts, where Peter quotes it, is twofold. There will be a day that the Spirit of the Lord is being poured out and has been poured out. And then in the last final hours of the days, I believe there will be the second half of this will come to pass. In other words, you know, we've seen, as we've used to say, we've seen a lot of different revivals through the years. But I believe that there's going to come a time when these things will be fulfilled completely and it will happen when we are thirsty. I believe we haven't seen the final outpouring of God's Spirit yet. I believe that God's still looking for somebody who's really thirsty. I believe, listen, parents, the effects of a poured out Spirit is life. You want your kids to be full of the Spirit of God. You want them to be full of the power of God. More than you want them to be uh, the greatest athletes, you better want them to be filled with the Spirit of God. You better want them to be poured out with the power of God. Long before a meme was ever popular on, on Facebook, my daddy would say, Son, I would hate to know that I had to walk across the street without the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Why would he say that? He knew that we were living in desperate times. He knew that we would need the power of God's Spirit. See, a lot of us get caught up. We believe that somehow or another, this pouring out of the Spirit, it's all about talking in tongues. And the truth of it is, that's not so. That is the evidence that it's there. But the, but the greatest thing about it is to give you power to be a witness. There's so much more to live this life like you've never lived. To live a life that's full and free indeed. That's why your kids need the power of the Holy Spirit. So they're not living like they used to live. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. We need the Spirit of God, God's presence, amen, so that we can live close and start making a difference in our lives. I'm going to close with this. The third thing that he tells them, and there's a lot more. He said, you're mine. You're precious to me, but you're mine. Guys, if you'll start that for me real quickly. He said, you're mine. And you and I need to claim it. speaking to Israel, but he was also talking to future generations of Israel. You know, I, I say this with hesitancy, but it's true. If 
raise your hand. She may know that baby ugly because he looks like his daddy, but better not nobody else say that. God knew that his says he talks about casting them into the sea the depths of it that's called that that he would forget them why because God's got this bad memory no because God chooses not to remember our sins anymore he paid the price so you don't have Just tell you, God, God's payment for your sin didn't make a way out of your problems, but He did make a way out of your sin. 
as we heard Wednesday night of the testimonials, one of the great testimonies, all of the testimonies were great. When Tara began to share and touch on all the Lord told her through Pastor Scott, she had actually had this happen. And not and she wasn't even at the old prison, she wasn't even in the hospital at this time. And she was going to become a teacher. In other words, there's something on your heart. You need to hear from the Lord Jesus Christ today. Stop living your past. Allow God to begin to make those things new so that you don't you don't have to remember that time. You save the living for the dead. God's the only person that can take your life that is broken. It's broken. The way that I can give you a lasting soul is this. When the Lord found me, He found my past. He found my dad. He found my mom. He found my life. He found so many things. He found my addiction. He found my faith. He found my Just a second. 